every generation there is a chosen podcast. It alone will analyze the subtext, the allegory, and the clever Whedon-esque dialogue. It is Conversations with Dead People. and welcome to Conversations with Dead People, a post-mortem podcast on the works of Joss Whedon. My name's Paul, and I'm your host, and I'm typically joined by guests from the worlds of fandom and academia as we make our way through the critically acclaimed series Buffy the Vampire Slayer and its spin-off series Angel. Uh, this week we're into our second group of Season 7 episodes with 704 Help, 705 Selfless, and 706 Him. Uh, and talking with me this time around... Uh, Back after a two-year hiatus, that's all, that's entirely my fault, I apologize, Michael Adams, author of Slayer Slang, a Buffy the Vampire Slayer lexicon. Welcome back, Michael. Well, thanks, Paul. It's so much fun to be here. It's It's been a minute, and stuff has happened. <laughs> <laughs> the the it, world It sure has. It's been a busy two years. Yeah, the world has continued to turn uh, in the last two years. So my first question is going to be, how are you doing? Uh, I'm doing fine, really. I mean, you know, the, the thing that most people are worried about at this moment on uh, June 18th, 2020 is, uh, you know, whether they have the coronavirus or not. And I'm happy to say that I don't and my family don't. And, uh, you know, besides uh, all of the hassles that I won't go into them of trying to get a university up and ready uh, <laughs> for, um, you know, the next academic year. Uh, in the middle of all this, uh, things are pretty good. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, fantastic that you and your family are all healthy. Um, yeah. It, everyone is surviving the the pandemic and the isolation. Well, the isolation has been tricky, no doubt, because I have a ten year old and uh, a daughter who's turning eight in about a week. Uh, and they're just not used to isolation, but they've handled it remarkably well. I think my wife and I have probably <laughs> have probably been worse off, than, but uh, uh, we, we've made it through all right. And you know, there's a little opening right now about which we have to be careful, but um, they've been able to, to have outdoor uh, play with friends and stuff like that. And, you know, and That's... I'm on a podcast, so I mean, what I mean, things seem to be going pretty well. <laughs> Right. Hey, you've made it. Congratulations. You're on this podcast. Yeah, absolutely. I feel I feel like we, we've come to a we've, we've come to a good point. <laughs> right. Um, man, podcasts really can solve everything. Um, God, that's terrible. Uh, OK, so speaking of this podcast, I'm going to drop a spoiler warning here in case anyone is just starting their uh, journey with us right here. An odd place to begin, but it could happen. Uh, Conversations with Dead People is not a typical rewatch and review podcast. We're going to be exploring the plots, characters, and themes of each episode in depth and within the context of the series as a whole. That means spoilers and a lot of them. So I recommend if you haven't already watched Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Angel this series all the way through at least once, press pause, uh, go, 
you know, make your peace with the Whedon verse, watch those shows and uh, come back when you're ready. We'll still be here. So uh, with that all taken care of, Michael, if you're ready, let's go to work. Okay, I'm ready. All right. So let's start off with uh, 704 help. Um, I, I don't know how I'm going to talk about these. I have some opinions, <laughs> but, uh, um, you, <laughs> well, that's, a, that's a surprise, Paul. I know. <laughs> I know. This is the first time it's you're taken. Not your, you're not without your opinions. <laughs> <laughs> it's taken, it's taken almost to the end of the series for me to finally feel comfortable expressing my opinions, but here we are. So, um, what are your thoughts on, well, I mean, I, I don't, can I ask you a question Absolutely. Um, about this? I mean, are you, there, there are, as you know, people who really don't like season seven, um, who, who don't, uh, you know, think it's the best part of the series or even close. Um, I happen to think it's fantastic. And I, and I wonder where you stand on that. I mean, is this a season that does it for you or is this the season that grinds the show down at the end in spite of all the good things that went before so season seven is the one that i am least familiar with um as i've said before on the podcast i've only ever watched this series like continuously all the way through once but i've seen pretty much all of it okay. multiple times in various scattered rewatches um but season seven is the one that i have revisited the least so uh, over the course of this podcast i've I've proclaimed that I was going to have some difficult opinions about season six, which hasn't really surprised anybody. Um, right. And, and that I didn't really remember much of season seven, but I didn't recall liking it that much. So now that I'm into sort of the, the I'm past the very beginning of season seven. What I'll say is I'm shocked at how much I have enjoyed these first handful of season seven episodes. I did not actually remember it starting off as strong as I feel like it has. Right. Yeah, no, I think I think it really does, and and uh, um, I was so I mean I'm, I I have to admit I'm I'm, I'm less um, uh, captivated maybe by him as a story story uh, than I am by Help and Selfless, but I think that uh, both in the long arc construction of the series and also just independently as episodes, uh, they're really good. Yeah. Um... So I pretty much loved the the first three episodes uh, that I talked about last time, and uh, these three I I liked a lot. But the midpoint of our discussion here, when we get into selfless, um, I uh -huh. we we hit a stumbling block for me, and it. Uh, <laughs> okay. We'll get to it when I'm, we get no, to selfless. No, I, I... I may have it already in mind. I mean, because I can imagine thematically where that would be, because I see some troubling things there too, especially with what uh, what uh, uh, happened in season six. So, but we'll we'll get to that. Yeah, but yeah. just to, just to let me begin with things that I love about um, about help. I think that televisually, uh, um, they have some remarkable features, and and what I had I didn't have it in my memory from the last time I watched season seven, but I got to the end of help. And Buffy is in her office at Sunnydale High School, her sitting there alone, ready to help, after having realized that Slayer, though she is, she isn't always going to be able to help. Right. You know, just sitting there alone, and you're seeing her through the frame of that office window, and then it blacks out. And uh, as you know, I'm a word person by trade, but I just found that hugely affecting. 
so that so that's just one example of something in that episode I think is is strong and certainly stronger than some of the some of the stuff that you see in in in, in season one. Though I realize that's not saying saying much when it comes to when it comes to the production values and the and and the televisual aspects of the of the of the uh, episodes. Yeah, no, I liked that ending as well, and that uh, it comes right after she's had sort of the the living room realization that you know what do you what do you do when you realize that you you want to help someone and you just can't and then it then we get her just by herself in her office waiting yeah. waiting for yeah, the next exactly waiting to help yeah that for waiting, yeah. waiting for the next thing and I, that that sentence that she says i don't have it um verbatim probably in my, my head but i remember that it's there's a maybe in there you know what do you do when maybe you can't help yeah or something like that if i don't have it perfect it's close enough and and that, that you could hardly say that this is the height of Buffy optimism, um, this this part of season seven, right? And yet there is a little bit of tentative optimism in that. You know, maybe you can't, you can't. You have to be ready. And there she is. I think it's according to the episode. Yeah, no, I liked the ending. And uh, this is the fourth episode in a row now so all all three that i talked about last time and then now in uh 704 help fourth episode in a row where i have i've been on a streak of genuinely liking buffy meaning the character not the show um i'm meaning the, yeah i'm i'm famously not the biggest fan of buffy summers herself many times uh but i've actually uh-huh. It's one of the reasons why I consider this such a strong start to season seven, uh, because um, I think they've all been well written and interesting, uh, despite the what could potentially have been a clumsy back to the beginning motif that they're doing. But, um, yeah, this is the fourth time in a row where I've been like, dang, what is what's what's wrong with me? I'm like really loving the character of Buffy Summers. Yeah, no, we we didn't get to talk about we didn't get to talk about season six, but I mean, my my view of season six, and I and I suppose lots of people's view, is that once more with feeling starts us on a different sort of character trajectory. Yeah. Um, and I wrote an article about this um, called Buffy and the Death of Style, um, because I've been so preoccupied, you know, was preoccupied for so long with the language of the show. Um, and all of that um, verbal play and, and word uh, creation and stuff that Buffy was doing for for five and a half seasons. But once they get through, once more with feeling, the it's not as though she never says anything that's... Uh, um, uh, she says things that are in the pattern of speech she's introduced, but her stylistic, the level of stylistic innovation on her part is down. And my explanation for that is really existential. She's come to realize that that purpose, and as it gets expressed several times in season seven, mission, uh, is more important than style. Uh, The show's been very much about style up until that point, and in many dimensions, you know, the the style of what they're wearing, the style of what they're doing. Style even gets mocked. Um, uh, Which episode is it in? Um, it's in it's in uh, him, which we'll get to later. Uh, when when uh, uh, Willow's about ready to go back to college, and Dawn is giving her the advice about how to fit in, do right. the things that everybody else say, the things that everybody else says, and that's where Dawn is 
but and that's where Buffy was, but she's not there anymore. She's moved on um, to a sort of seriousness in life that that may be part of what um, makes her more appealing to you. It certainly makes her more appealing as a human being to me um, um, because she's not behaving so much like a, a, a quirky, sullen uh, teenager at times. She's acting like a struggling adult and, and probably adult viewers um, appreciate that quality in her at this point in the, in the series her, uh, and adolescent uh, viewers do. Um, but I think that there is, I think there is something to appreciate in that change of tone and some some change in her, I don't know what to call it, um, psychology or ethos or character, um, you know, where she's where she's really turned a corner um, from where she was before, and that's interesting to see. I, it, it's interesting. I don't remember thinking of it at least consciously in terms of the the language of the show. Um, I mean, you're right. The the midpoint. I mean, some people would argue that pretty much all of season six was a tonal shift, but certainly from once yeah. more with feeling onward. Um, I, I don't remember if I had ever consciously made note of the fact that they there's less Slayer slang after yep, that. And, 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 there, and there is. And, and I can say that confidently because I wrote it all down. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and then then besides and then besides extracting it item by item. I was able to see who was saying it, you know. Right. And and Willow and Xander are still following um, the types of slangy patterns um, that you you know that are all through the earlier seasons and are patterns that that Buffy, but Buffy hangs back and rarely uses those patterns. And I think what alerted me to it at the at the outset when I started thinking about it was that was that once more with feeling is <laughs> hyper style, you yeah. know, yeah. style on drugs. Style just <laughs> literally got out of control, right? Almost to the point that style kills them, right? Um, and they're able to pull back from that. But if there was ever a, there was ever a sort of meta warning about um, um, uh, immersion and the value of style, I think Joss Whedon got to it there, right? Uh, and then and then something changed after that. At least that's the way I read it. I mean, I realize that there are other other ways of looking at it, but but um, but at least I can vouch for the fact that. Uh, that there's less slang and less of it is Buffy's and something in her, there's something about her that's reflected in that linguistic change. Yeah. We're going to pause and let that lawnmower go by or whatever that is. You know, this is, this is a COVID um, experience, isn't it? Because <laughs> I'm stuck here in my house, unable to get away from these noises. I didn't ask this guy to come and mow the lawn right now. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and the neighbors have decided, I guess, to lay down paving stones and gravel in their uh, garden today oh, because man. there's a truck over there making a racket. Now, that apparently isn't coming through to you. Well, I was but hearing the, like the, the backup. I did hear like the backup beep. I thought maybe of a truck, but yeah, the backup beep of that of that truck. I mean, talk about a perfect storm. And all I'm trying to do is be on your podcast. <laughs> it's cool. I, I uh I'm learning to embrace the the quirks of my audio quality. So, <laughs> hopefully, any listeners that well, have made it this far. I was, I was listening to NPR this morning, um, and I forget uh, who the who the anchor was who was doing the story. But it was about kids and going to summer camp, and you know the psychological developmental needs of kids of kids, and why um, they they couldn't be quarantined this summer in the way that some parent parents afraid for their health might want to. 
And uh, the host said, well, and there you go. That 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 noise you hear is my children stomping upstairs stomping <laughs> on the floor. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. if NPR could be interrupted by that type of background, I suppose. I suppose conversations with dead people is in good company. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I've had uh, I've had many guests um poke jabs at me saying that I sound like I should be an NPR host. So uh, we'll just continue the you theme. You got that. We'll just continue you got, the theme. You got, that, you got that sort of professional calm, you know? <laughs> oh, I put on a good front. That's sort of like, you know, public funding. I don't have to worry about advertising. I can be calm. <laughs> right. I am, I'm publicly funded. Not at all, but yes. Um, <laughs> or right. not at all funded. See, not at all funded. The problem is going for the ad income. That's the problem. <laughs> all right. Uh, so Mr. Lawnmower is, sounds like he's moved on. Um, I was going to say that... Uh, he's coming back. Of course. We'll just power through it unless it gets really bad. Um, okay. The... What was I going to say? Oh, yeah. So the lack of... Or, or the the lowering... The diminishing amount of Slayer slang uh, after season or mid season six. Um, even though I didn't consciously make note of it, or I don't remember at least consciously noticing that when in this episode, I think it's this episode when Dawn uh, says a line that's very sort of in the vein of how the Scooby gang talked in the first couple of seasons. She said something about, you know, yeah. Willow being back is not, uh, I should have written this line down, but uh, it's not, um, what did she say? It's not uh, comfort making or something. I can't remember what she says, but comfort making, and, and, and it's in, in this episode or selfless when she worries about what it means for Spike to have the soul having. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So she's doing some of those. She's doing some of those things that I guess are being interpreted as age appropriate. But yeah, it's almost jarring. It strikes me when Don says that yeah. first line early well, in the episode, it, yeah. it, it was almost like, Oh, that was a weird way of putting it. And then I was like, Oh no, that's the way this show always used to put it. <laughs> um, yeah, no, that, that's, that's true. It is typical for the show, but it's also, I mean, the, this season, much as Don's been important for the story before now, it, it's either, it's either an up moment for Don or an up moment for Michelle Trachtenberg or both. Um, one of the, uh, one of the episodes from your last, um, um, uh, um, airing would have been uh, what is it? Out of sight, out of mind. Is that right? Where Willow, where Willow uh, disappears, they can't see her because of her yeah. um, insecurity. Yeah. And Dawn and Dawn gets hit by 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 Garn, right? And uh, and she, you know, is paralyzed. And there's this wonderful um, moment of physical comedy, which I don't think we ever really expected of the actress or or the character. When she falls off the sofa, right, and and in him, she isn't watching where she's going and um, does a pratfall at the bleachers while she's watching RJ. Yeah. Um, at one point, um, and uh, so she's <laughs> she's not just picking up on the old style, uh, but she's also uh, adding to the style of the episode uh, and providing that comic relief. Yeah, uh, which, given the seriousness of some of the story, is really welcome, um, and doing a pretty good job of it, I must say. Maybe, maybe not first class that fall, but but not bad. <laughs> well, uh, in addition to my being surprised at rediscovering how strong season seven starts out, and 
uh, being surprised at how much I'm liking the character of Buffy in these early episodes of season seven. I'm also surprised, pleasantly surprised, that Dawn is getting, even when she's put into an episode like him, which is, of the three we're talking about, easily the silliest, the, the sort of goofiest <laughs> of the episodes, even when she gets the silly pratfalls yeah. and that kind of stuff. Um, I don't know. Dawn feels like she's getting a little more respect as a character from the writers than she had been yeah. previously. So, Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and it's working, right? So yeah. that's fair. Yeah. Uh, it's um, getting, getting back to the language issue and who's speaking, saying who's um, a sort of a, a, a style outlier. Um, it, it is obliquely connected to what I take to be the primary thematic push of these episodes, which is about, you know, being alone and being lonely mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, be, be, being, being, um, you know, isolated from, um, well, being unconnected, I guess, is the simplest way of putting it. You know, the danger of being unconnected. And uh, uh, I don't know what you think about that, but it seems to me all over the place from, you know, just Buffy becoming a counselor in the sense that that's a means of connection uh, uh, between uh, her and, and, pe and people who, who need some sense of connection. Um, 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 yeah, uh, no, I think you're right. Um, the what, what is um, the guy, the guy, the guy whose brother is going off to uh, the war? Uh, is right? it... I, I don't know that he I don't know if we ever get his name it's um, I can't remember if his name is Ricky or the actor's name is Ricky I apologize but that's the one I'm talking about and and he says at one point um, you know about that relationship I'm scared right. I don't want to be left alone and right. he's saying that to Buck who's the counselor who's making a meaningful connection we hope just at the point that he thinks he's losing an important connection. I mean, you get, you get that type of stuff all the time. What is it? Mike says um, to Cassie, let's get matching tattoos, right? right yeah. uh, let's go to the dance. What, we, what would we do with the dance? We would hang out together. Well, we always hang out together, right? Mm -hmm. So, so you've, got, um, you've got Buffy with her loneliness and power, and you've got, you've got Cassie in her loneliness in knowledge. And it just seems, it just, you know... If we didn't have a couple of, of, of really funny moments um, and some really um, sentimental moments, it would probably become a little heavy, uh, a little too heavy for us to bear. Yeah, when the episode started, um, just some of the just some of the vague details started coming back to me, and I remembered, oh yeah, this is the episode where you know that has this or has that that um has azura sky and uh, sarah hagan both of whom i love um but uh, i'd forgotten how act how it actually ended like i i knew that cassie dies by the end as she predict predicts she will but i couldn't remember how yeah um and so i actually was going through most of the episode thinking you know she commits suicide at the end and how is and that's going to be super dark uh -huh. like how is this show going to deal with that right. um so i'd forgotten that that isn't isn't actually what happened but um um yeah. i want to say well, you know, the funny thing is that we... go yeah. ahead go ahead yeah. i was, was going to say the, the funny thing about it is that that she's lonely in her way and buffy is lonely in her way um 
and Buffy is worried at the end that sometimes maybe you can't help but it's wonderful that Cassie doesn't commit suicide it's wonderful that she's not alone yeah when she dies yeah I mean Buffy provides that connection then and uh, so I mean that's so 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 what Buffy says is kind of is kind of worried and 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 uh, minimally optimistic, but really there was that was about the best that you could hope for if Cassie was going to be right. And it was kind of a beautiful moment. What does she say? What is it that she? I mean, she she touches Buffy's cheek. But Buffy says, "See." Uh, what does she say? Buffy like catches the arrow and says, "See, you you can make a difference," or something like that. And then she, and then Cassie right. touches her cheek and says, "And you will." And you will, right? What a beautiful connective moment. Yeah. I, I you know, and 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 that's Cassie with knowledge of something that she can't articulate really, but she reassures Buffy with it, and from the episode we've got every reason to believe that it's going to be true. And and so there's your sense of connection in all of that, in all of that aloneness. That's 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 being alone in your knowledge of your power but not being lonely at the moment that counts. Cassie as a character, I mean, she only gets one episode unless she comes back as the first. You count the other one. Yeah. Does she come back as the first? No, no. Just in the one you're thinking of when the first um, uses her, uses, uses her image. Right. Okay. Yeah. But uh, the character of Cassie, Uh, I'm sorry. So I may have spoiled something for you. No, 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 no. Come back briefly. No, I, I, my spoiler warning about the podcast. Yeah, my spoiler warning about the podcast is for me as much as it is for my listeners. So, yeah, but, um, but in conversations with dead people, just coming up, she she does recur for uh, uh, part of that episode. Okay, yeah. okay, yeah, but but as an actual living character, she only gets this one episode, and and it's actually right. kind of a packed episode. Like Cassie doesn't get that much screen time, and even so, with her limited screen time, um, Cassie Newton is potentially one of my favorite characters from the series. Like she is such a fascinating uh-huh. and interesting character. And even though her arc here is short, it's powerful, you know, it's meaningful, it's powerful, but I kind of yeah. wish, I kind of yeah. wish that we could have gotten more of her. Like I kind of wish the connection that she has there with Buffy at the end and, and even with Spike, I just wish she, we could have seen that play out a little bit longer, but yeah. And, so beautifully with Dawn. She says something yeah. to Dawn, which is almost triumphant, you know, when Dawn is excusing Buffy and trying to explain that she really, w- you know, wanted to be Cassie's friend. And Cassie says, you are my friend, silly. Yeah, that was a, that <laughs> yeah, was a just, great moment. That, I mean, that's such a re- kind and reassuring thing to say. Yeah. And then, and then she says, because she's already had the premonition, she says, whatever happens, it's not your fault. Right. It's just very kind. Yeah. 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 And then, of course, she disappears because that cult takes her away. (laughs) Yes. All right. Speaking of back to the beginning. So I alluded at the top of the show that uh, or earlier that uh, (laughs) the kind of uh, going back to the beginning premise of this season could has the potential to be uh, potential, no pun intended, has the potential to be kind of clumsy. (laughs) Um, And yeah, I, I think sometimes it gets there. Uh, but so far, at least as as far as this episode, up to this episode, it hasn't really bothered me. Um, I did roll my eyes a little yeah. bit at the fact that there's another group of frat boys who are 
trying to summon a demon. But I mean, whatever. Although I guess technically they're not frat boys because this is high school, not college. But they're still in high school. Yeah. The frat boys come in selfless. Yeah. 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 We're escalating. Uh, a groupness there. This is and, just an after-school uh, group. No, I guess. and they're silly, and and their motive is to get money, yeah. um, which, if I'm rem- I'm remembering, is basically the motive um, uh, behind um, Reptile Boy. Uh, the frat that falls out. That yeah, yeah, um, um, yeah. Um, uh, you know, so that's that's a repeat, and it's boring. Um, <laughs> and of course, there is an attempt to save that, which is Buffy's comment right. to that very effect. Yeah. Right. But that's a little that's a little ham handed, if you ask me as a matter of writing. I mean, if you're writing it out and you get to the point of producing the episode and you realize that it's just old news. Uh, and so you give Buffy the line that agrees that it's old news. You might have gone back and, and written the episode a little bit differently to begin with. Yeah. But um, having said that, I do think and this is something I've been thinking about a lot since I rewatched these um episodes in view of this uh, particular occasion um, of your podcast because they're the worst group but all of these episodes introduce the issue of of, um, the individual versus the group different group compositions right Um, the Scoobies are who the the Scoobies are the, the Scoobies are a changing entity there are cults there are bringers there are watchers, um, the cults, the bringers, the watchers all have um, uh, ethically uh, uh, neg- negative uh, connotations. Uh, even the watchers, as you move on in this season, especially because you get to meet the first watchers and you realize what awful people, right. what awful people they were. Yeah. Uh, right. Right. Uh, and uh, and uh, uh, there's something going on there in the juxtaposition of groups um, um, high school boy, boys doing their clumsy ritual, frat boys killed because they were abusing a woman, um, the Scoobies uh, falling apart uh, uh, sort of continually but differently as different members of that group uh, come under suspicion or um, have to be uh, remediated in some way. Uh, as Anya has to be, and selfless. So, I mean, it, it, um, I'm not sure, you know, I often wonder this about the the Buffyverse, uh, you know, how careful and deliberate the patterns you can see are, how meaningful they are um, from the writer's point of view. Uh, I think that there's, some, there's something in, intuitively... Um, appealing is the wrong word but um you know you get jarred by seeing it 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 jars you or jostles you into a different way of thinking um to see these groups posed against each other uh in the way they are and and i and I'm, i'm talking off the top of my head because i don't really know what i don't really know where it all leads or what the answer to it is but but the reason we were talking about it in the first place is you kind of wonder in this episode what is the value of these you know, these boys getting together, forming a cult and raising this demon. Well, at least it's another instantiation of the dangerous group. Yeah. Um, and it isn't just a matter of Scoobies versus other groups. It's a matter of the alone power and the alone knowledge as important in the fight against the evil that the groups mostly except for the Scoobies represent. 
Um, so it's like there's a sociological position there somewhere, you know. Uh-huh. Um, we are all alone in the world. Um, we're all um, uh, responsible for our own agency. Uh, we'll get to, to that in Selfless since Anya uh, denies it uh, at the end of the episode. But, um, you know, and, and, and then you get into these groups and bad things happen. Um, or there's only one way for groups to go. Or I don't know. There's something there. I'm just not sure how how carefully thought out it is in the, you know, at, at the writing, at the writing stage. Well, I mean, I've had my own uh, fluctuating views on the the core group, the Scooby Gang themselves, and and what the the good the good and bad that comes out of the fact that that group is so tightly bonded, um, sometimes mm. to the exclusion of anybody outside the group. But um, this right. this back to the beginning theme that's running through this season um i get it i understand the desire to to use that as a motif throughout this final season and many times i think it works but unfortunately it also even when mm-hmm. it works like in this episode i think it kind of works i i didn't i didn't really have a problem yeah. with the with the, the high school version of frat boys raising a demon or whatever but it does and we'll we'll we're about to get into selfless and we'll get into this, but there are times where it's a double-edged sword that going back to the beginning, um, not only, you know, kind of adds a bookend to the entire series, but also brings up Uh uncomfortable things about the way the series has handled some stuff. Um, and yeah, sometimes or core social issues. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes not always, but sometimes, uh, I question where, like, like you almost, you, you kind of got to it when you were talking about uh, whether we actually needed this group of high school boys summoning a demon. Did we need to have a callback to Reptile Boy because the group themselves didn't really, they were, they were ancillary to the story, really. They, it could have been anybody. It could have been right. any group of big bads right. or whatever. Uh, and so, you know, how necessary was that? Um, there are times where some of these things, some of the callbacks, I'm like, you know, if if you're not using the callback to actually raise a specific question, <laughs> then why are we calling back right. to it? Right. Uh, well, unless you want to unless you want to pose a metaphysical solution, which is that, uh, you know, what goes around comes around that you are what you were. Um, that, uh, you know, what you are in the future is uh, a reiteration of what you were before um, or that it's very difficult to escape those reiterations, which is, in fact, um, part of the the arc of season seven because it's what Buffy resists, um, uh, both in the middle of the season and finally, uh, in not um, taking for granted what the original watch- watchers wanted the Slayer uh, to be. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, so, so, so you have this sort of cyclical thing that's set up and then part of this, this season thematically is breaking the cycle. So, so maybe up until the middle or so with these callbacks, you're being, you're being reminded of how past and present and future are all supposedly embedded, um, in one another only to discover at the end that there might be something freeing. Um, something that would free you from that that um, cycle after all. Yeah, the, so far in this season, uh, there's been a lot of emphasis on the fact that uh, you know our the Scooby Gang, our original heroes, are 
basically grown up now. Like now we're watching the, the next generation go through high school, whereas all of our characters are adults right. and they have adult jobs. And, uh, and then in him, right. in him, we get that line. I mean, she's under a, a love spell, but we get that line from Buffy where she's like, you know, I'm, I'm really not that much older than you. I, I'm not that far out of high school. I, and I'm practically the yeah. same age as you. <laughs> um, yeah. But, which, but not to get ahead of ourselves, that's, that's a show that has a generational motif in it. Yeah. Um, because the father passes the jacket to the older brother, passes it to the younger brother. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, so, um, and, and that, and that sense of, you know, and, and the Watchers Council Council is generation after generation after generation of people who are doing uh, what Watchers do. So it's sort of in the structure of the story that um, that generation, which generation you belong to and what you represent is at issue. Yeah. Um, we can't get out of this episode without mentioning a few things. Uh, we meet our f- well, it's not really our first potential, but it's the first potential that we're going to get to know uh, pops right. up in this episode. Uh, Amanda turns uh-huh. up uh-huh. Um, and I'd forgotten how much I liked her. So that was fun. Mm-hmm. And Buffy's yeah. Buffy's yeah. little smile when uh, uh, Amanda's like, I mean, you know, I smashed his face into the ground. Do you think maybe I should hit him some more or something like that? And the scene cuts right. out with Buffy just right. sort of smirking at that. <laughs> um, well, you'd almost think that she would make the connection before she does later in the season. Right. right. I mean, who's the one who's got uh, uh, a, a Slayer's attitude? Right. Uh, yeah. Um, let's see. What else? Uh, I I'm genuinely two additional things I like. What's that? I, mean, I said two additional things that I like have to do with tools. One of them is when um, Buffy at the very beginning of the of the episode is sharpening pen- pencils. Right. Very like. Yeah. It's just there's a relationship of two things, sharpening, preparing the tools, getting ready to do the job. Um, and then there's that absolutely remarkable, um, in a nutshell, analogy that Xander makes um, about um, uh, power and control. Oh, yeah, the hammer. And using a hammer. Yes. Yeah, the hammer, which I think is a brilliant little bit of writing even willow compliments him on the fact that he's come up with a good analogy she's kind of she's kind of surprised that he could do that and that represents his being a mature version of his older self so there's something in the world that he understands now that he didn't understand before he came to it um sort of around the corner from the business of of um of slaying and what the scoobies do but he recognizes that uh you know, he recognizes that it's it's a it's a relevant way of looking at the the problems the Scoobies are having. I think that that's a really fine moment for Xander Harris. Yeah, who a character who doesn't get very many genuinely fine moments. <laughs> um, I no, agree. And in fact, in this season, it's going to have some really egregiously bad ones, in my opinion. But those all come later. Right. Yeah. Um, that was a that was a great scene, uh, all told, because not only does Xander get that that moment of actually being you know, clever, but, um, it leads into, I, I'll tell you, I kind of remembered that this is a thing that happened, but I wasn't prepared in the moment for the emotions of Willow visiting Tara's grave. Yeah. I, I, didn't, yeah. I didn't realize that was going to hit me as hard as it did. So. Yeah, it doesn't. Um, I, I'm a natural crier. I, my, my, my me too. Kids, 
tease me about it all the time. <laughs> my, 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 um, you know, wife will start to hand the tissue across all of us uh, while we're watching uh, a movie uh, together. Um, so it's not unusual for me to be uh, immediately emotionally affected by things that happen in this show. And in fact, in Selfless, I am uh, absolutely and always weep um, uh, um, profoundly at, at, at the same point. But um, th this one affects me, but not quite as much, I think, because um, there's a rightness to it. Mm -hmm. Um of course, it's wrong that Tara died, and it's wrong that Willow uh, ended up uh, the mess that she was in season six. And um, but there's a reunion there, I guess, is one way of putting it. That's really quite touching. Um, but I think I probably cry uh, most profoundly when I don't see what the out is, or I don't see I don't see the situation as. Um, I see it as humane, but not as resolvable. Yeah, I guess. Is I think, way of putting it. I think that moment hit me so hard because um, what what played out subconsciously in my mind is the notion that this is this is actually the first opportunity Willow's had to say goodbye to Tara. The entirety of yeah. the you know the last several episodes of season six were all about Willow. Uh, doing what she thought was was out of respect or paying homage or whatever to Tara. Um, right. And then, you know, that causes what it causes. And she's whisked off to England where she's been for however long she's been over there. And this is really the first time that Willow's had to to actually pay her respects to Tara and say goodbye. So I don't know. Yeah. That just hit me. Yeah. And, 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 as, and well, and as you know, from what comes up, um, she she is still very connected right. um, to Tara, yeah, uh, and it almost it almost ruins her again, you know. Um, uh, so, uh, but uh, we don't have to spoil everything. <laughs> <laughs> we can uh, spoil some things. We'll just leave it. If some people aren't quite through the season again yet uh, on this viewing, uh, they can they can uh, uh, encounter that episode when when they encounter it. All right. Um, just two last things I want to say about this, and then we can get to selfless, which sounds like uh, you had. Okay. Well, it sounds like we've both had strong reactions to maybe not in the same way. Um, yeah. So Cassie has a great line. Cassie was a great character. And one of her uh, great moments to me, because I'm such a Sp Spike fanboy, is when he, Spike unties her and she looks at him and says, yeah. she'll tell you someday. She'll tell you. I was like, yes. I mean, I got chills from that. That was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then no, that, that's quite the and then the last thing I was going to say is just how impressed I am at like how genuinely good Buffy is at being a counselor. I, I, it kind of surprises me that she was, is as effective as a counselor as she proves to be for however many episodes we get to see it. I don't, I don't remember how long this yeah. particular thing lasts into the season, but um, although I do well, question, she gets, she gets fired. She gets fired. Okay. <laughs> she gets fired. She gets fired later, but that's because everybody, the, the whole thing is falling apart and there aren't any students left. in the school. Okay. All right. Um, I do, <laughs> I do question how, uh, a brand new, like basically first day on the job, unlicensed high school counselor manages to get access to a student's medical records. <laughs> um, uh, well, you know, 
Come but, on, willing suspension of disbelief and poetic license and all that stuff. I know. But it does seem her, – her, her skill as a counselor does seem consistent with what I know has been arguable for some people, her skill as a leader uh, and you know her general sh- – and there are these moments when supposedly she's, she's faltering, but she always uh, figures out a, a way to persuade other people um, to be there – best selves in the service of the of the mission and that of course is of a loftier disposition perhaps than helping the kids through some of their their day-to-day problems but but i understand what you mean that 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 buffy's competence at things besides being the the reiteration of the prototypical slayer is is surprising and and like you i think it's really welcome i think it's a great development of the series yeah on that note i feel like we absolutely need to move into selfless and um i want to get your thoughts first because i i I don't want to derail your happiness so i want you to tell me um why you enjoy (laughs) so yeah i'm i i'm i partly enjoy it because i find it troubling which i know sounds perverse maybe that's maybe that's a professor's way of looking at things you know (laughs) gives you something to think about and talk about um but uh um i I have I, I am an Anya fan. Yes. Uh, and I, I have been in all of her different um, selves uh, in, in, in the series, but I especially like the Anya of season seven and her struggle with being a human being and her forthrightness in questioning value. And obviously that has a narratological value because somebody needs to do that type of evaluation in the course of events. And that's a, that's a role that's, that's given to her. Um, but, but watching her in her various selves in this episode called selfless, which is an unfortunately obvious, um, but apt pun, um, you know, I, I find, I find that, uh, um, really interesting to watch. And there are all these little, I mean, there's some really great moments of writing, especially when she's in wherever she's supposed to be, her Norse Baltic um, Scandinavia uh, or something. Yeah. Uh, her Scandinavian beginnings, although I could never figure out why uh, the, the guy whose name is uh, escaping me, the one who gets turned into the troll. Olaf. Um, Olaf. It's so easy, which is obviously Scandinavian, but he seems fascinated with Baltic women, which right. is not the same thing. Right. I know, it's, uh, I know. it's across the sea. So, so, so I've been trying to figure that out for years now, um, why that comes into the conversation the way in the way it does. But, um, you know, there, there's the moment where she's got all of the rabbits uh-huh. and you're thinking back to bunnies. Right. It must be bunnies. In also feeling. Also, she talks about how she feels like she should uh, distribute them, distribute them to their uh, fellow villagers, not for, you know, profit or exchange of goods or whatever, but just for just to spread good feelings. That's so, right. Just, just, exactly so she right. wasn't a he capitalist back then. Yeah, that, that's right. Um, so yeah, right. Exactly. She wasn't then. Um, that that happens after you've been a vengeance demon. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, there's that wonderful line which I cannot forget, um, which is um, when they're running away from Olaf Troll, and one of the one of the uh, villagers says, "Hide your babies and your beadwork." I've got that written down. Uh, I love that line. <laughs> Well, I do too, which all comes out of Anya's mouth. That's, that's the way Anya talks a lot of the time. Yeah. And uh, uh, so, so you kind of see her positioned in this origin story and, and being 
in a way, true to who she was when she was, now I would say, Aud. Yeah, but it's they actually pl- important that when Anya says her name to Toff, to, to Dahafran, it sounds in a very Midwestern way, Midwestern American way, like odd. Yeah, they, the show always pronounces it odd, and every time I read it or write it down, that's not how I would pronounce it. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. And it's not the way it would have been pronounced in a Scandinavian language at the time. There is actually an ODD beginning to names that would be odd, and odd is different. Yeah. So, um, but they're obviously playing with the name in that way. And, and uh, you know, the linguist in me loves the 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 sort of name um, theory that's underneath this. It's not, um, you know, all that sophisticated, I suppose, but there's that <laughs> passage when, when, when Anya says, you know, uh, my name is Odd, uh-huh. and Dehoffren says, but Anyanka is who you are, and you've got that slippage between what we call things and what they fact and the epistemology, the epistemological problem that goes along with that slipperiness um, of naming, and I think that you know the show's naturally conscious. I didn't think to look for this. Did did Jane Espenson write that episode? Did she write Selfless? Uh, Drew Goddard is the only writer listed. Is the only one that's listed. Well, okay. Well, by then, by that time, she was executive producer. But when they do when they do the really clever linguistic things, um, I often think that there's a little Jane Espenson behind it there, since she trained uh, as a linguist. Um, so yeah, so, you know, and, and, and along with the name issue is the identity issue. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you get lines like, uh, Halfrex and Yanka is back to her old self. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, uh, in that, in that scene, um, in St. Petersburg in, in 18, uh, 1905, um, after they've pattered along a little bit about how important work is to, um, Anyanka, um, she actually comes out and says, vengeance is what I am, Mm -hmm. which exactly echoes what Buffy says later in the episode. Um, Slave always cut off. There's your aloneness again, right? There's only me. I am the law, right? (laughs) Willow earlier says, I am the magics. So you've got, you've got all these assertions of vocation as identity um, among these characters Interestingly, for um, Anya and and uh, Willow at their worst times, um, and um, maybe in season seven, that insistence that she's the law and has to go off to to kill Anya uh, in this episode uh, because of what she had perpetrated. Maybe that's one of one of Buffy's weaker points, too. But it just seems to me interesting that that's a that's a motif that goes through the show uh, for a couple of seasons at least. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I'm trying to think if that plays out with any other characters here, but I'm not sure. Um, the only name thing that's coming to mind is uh, Spike's line, Scream Montresor, all you like, Pat. Uh, just because I, just cause I, lo- I love <laughs> well, that I love that story. And so when he said that, I was like, oh, nice, a reference to Cask of Amontillado. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, that, that's true. And, um, and there's also um, me, Anya fan. Uh, so delighted uh, that she has that um, outtake from yes. Once More with Feeling. Yes. Um, and, and it's beautifully done. And it's so, I mean, that, that is, as you can imagine, the point at which I just open up. I just weep uh, through that whole song because, you know, the irony. I mean, we know 
right <laughs> what's going on what's on in the past and how this relates to it this is the future that's in the past and the past that's in the present and the future uh and and we're going to move forward in the second half of the season to discover uh what it all means but but in that song she she's always saying that she's what is it anya anya christina emanuela jenkins harris and at one point she can't keep up the the uh, uh, facade any longer, and she says, "Anya Christina Lamas made up maiden name." Yeah, I love that one. Right. So then, so that's another great naming moment. When I think about it, uh, this is actually—I mean, names and naming uh, for what they're worth and what they tell you about a person, um, how they isolate or pinpoint identity—that's actually um, thematically important to to this episode. That's. That's awesome. I hadn't, I hadn't picked up on the whole naming aspect of the episode. Um, I want to know how else this plays in. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to let us talk about happy things as much as possible because. Yeah, no, because there are many unhappy things. But when I think about it, just as a footnote, though, Buffy, Buffy for the name of the Slayer is another example of name misalignment that's yeah. been there from the very beginning of the yeah. show. So I mean, yeah. yeah. So anyway. We can, um, we can get off this one. Um, okay. Let me look here and see if uh, there was anything. Um, oh, we get a callback. All right. So so I'm about to lead us into some of the back to the beginning stuff that I said could potentially yeah. be problematic. And for me, at least in this episode, it is. Um, well, first of all, we get another example of frat boys. <laughs> we we mm. only see them after they're mm -hmm. dead, but still, there's frat boys again. And this time, they really are frat boys. Yeah. It's college. Yeah. But um, the we get a callback to the whole kick his ass thing that Xander pulled so many eons yeah. ago. Right. That the truth of that has never come out. And it almost, almost kind of sort of comes out here. And even, and Willow even begins to acknowledge it by saying, I never said that. Um, mm -hmm. But as far as I know, and again, I don't remember season seven, season seven very well. That's it. I, I don't think it ever, that's as close as that ever comes to actually being called yeah. out and paid for. Yeah. Yep. But, I think that's right. Um, let's see. All right. Let, okay. Let's just get to it. Cause this is really the only thing I have to talk about in this episode. I apologize. Um, uh, the, you already referenced it, the whole, I am the law thing. So like I said, yeah. I've, I've been a really big fan of Buffy so far in this season. I've really been enjoying her as a character, um, for four straight seasons or four straight episodes. And then we get to this, the fifth episode and I, I hit that damn wall again. Um, the weird sudden gung ho desire to be the absolute arbiter of, of truth and justice, life and death. Right. And it also, in the same breath, comes along with the repeated proclamation that Willow was worth saving from her dark side because she's human, whereas Anya is a demon, right. and so it's not worth... Right. <laughs> um, yeah, that right. hails back to... So in the moment, right here and now, that enrages me. But it also right. calls back to what I've, what I have always been troubled by with Buffy and the Scooby gang, and that's the whole... Um, you know, they used to be the, the weirdos and the outsiders that weren't included in the groups or, you know, the cool kids wouldn't let them play their reindeer games or whatever. Right, so right, they right. formed their own group. They became the insiders and 
continued to exclude others from their group and the whole stake first, ask questions later, which I get in early seasons. She's called the Vampire Slayer. You know, it's, right. that's just the fun of it. But as the series got more and more complicated uh, and quest, moral questions got more, you know, convoluted, that attitude really began to annoy me. And so the continued refrain of humans are worth saving, demons are just straight up evil and we kill them and don't even think about it bugs right. the hell out of me. Well, also, it's 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 inconsistent in the season. I know what you mean about that. Although I have something else to say um, uh, about it besides what I'm about ready to say. But but um, Clem comes up in this um, season a couple of times. Right. Um, yeah. You know, kind of goofy, friendly Clem. And, and uh, Buffy's even in contact with him and uses him um, uh, uh, as a sort of instructional moment for the potentials uh, later in the season. They meet him in the demon bar. Uh, and uh, uh, he doesn't fit into that. Mold. He doesn't have to die just because he's a demon. I suppose if he killed somebody and she found out about it, then he'd, she'd have to kill Clem too. Uh, we're supposed to believe that it's the enormity of, uh, of Anya's crime that, that makes um, killing her imperative. But having said that, I'll also say that the episode rebukes Buffy for that attitude, I think. Uh, one of the... Um, things that I love about the episode is DeHoffren's role in it. Mm -hmm. And, and I love DeHoffren because he adds a, a different layer of discourse to everything that goes on <laughs> because he's so polite and he, and he has a, a good vocabulary. And sometimes when he's caught off guard, he'll be very colloquial, you yes. know, um, but it's, but, but he's representing uh, wisdom, strength and power that goes beyond what even uh, Willow and Buffy no. I mean, he comes and he's able to, uh, you know, save the fraternity uh, guys uh, because of the uh, reparation that Halfrick makes uh, on, on Anya's behalf, uh, which is quite a moment. That's right? that's a that's and, a uh, he, that's a generous way of, of putting that. Yeah. Uh, uh, but but then, well, I'm, you know, I'm saying it tongue in cheek. And then there's that exit that he does. And I think that that's really significant, the way he looks at them and he winks. And oh, he did says, he? I, I missed the wink. Oh, no, he, 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 he kind of gives a little wink and he says, you know, from beneath you, it devours. Right. And then he disappears and you realize that he's he's you know, kind of immune from the first even. he's He is not obviously the first evil, but... Uh, but he's old, old, old evil power, way beyond what anybody imagines. And so for Buffy to do this, I am the law stuff. No, in a way, de Hoffren is the law. Right. He's the one who sets things right in the balance of good and evil uh, at, at the end of the episode. Not Buffy. Buffy has no way of writing that balance Um except to kill Anya, and that really doesn't do it because the fraternity boys are still dead, right? Right. So it's, it's the Hoffren who um, um, evens the scales again, and, and I think that, that's, that if, if it wasn't intended to be, it seems to me a rebuke of, of Buffy's attitude at that point. And of course, she will gradually back off that, um, that dogmatic view of herself uh, in a couple of episodes, but and, and, you know, to the good of the series and, and, and the story. Uh, but that seems to me an important feature of, of the episode is the tension between the laws 
uh, represented by those two characters. So, yeah, uh, one of my few memories of season seven um, is that we you referenced General Buffy or, you know, Buffy the General or whatever. Yeah, uh, is a thing. Yeah. That's a thing that comes up and it's a it's a divisive moment within the show. Um, and it's also a divisive, I'd say it's a divisive moment among the fans. Although I appear to be one of the precious few who uh, is divided from the larger group. I, this to me, this, I am the law thing that happens in this episode is the beginning of that whole general Buffy thing. And I am not a fan of it. I'm not a fan of her, yeah. uh, switching into judge dread mode. I'll just, you know, in the blink of an eye in this yeah. episode, I want, I want to read yeah. a quote from, uh, oh, excuse me. I'm getting choked up. Uh, I want to read a quote from <laughs> Nikki Safford's bite me, the unofficial guide to Buffy the Vampire uh -huh. Slayer, uh, when talking about this exact thing, the, the, I am the law. She says, uh, there was a time when despite what all the watcher history books said, Buffy refused to cut herself off from her friends. She always carried a certain burden quietly without telling anyone. But now that she's gotten older and apparently more quote unquote mature, she's become a lot more emotionless about certain decisions and doesn't treat the Scoobies like a consultation committee the way she once did. She makes the decisions, right. even if they involve saving Angel's life and not Anya's, Scoobies be damned. And it's this cold mentality she has developed that will be her undoing by the end of the season. Buffy would like to think that this leadership is proof of her maturity, but an, uh, but an utter lack of respect for those around you does not equal adulthood. Yeah. And I think that, I think that that's, I think that's fair. Um, I think that that's in the story and okay. I don't see how anybody viewing the episodes could not entertain that as a problem of her character where I disagree with um, Nikki <laughs> about that. Um, is that uh, um, I'm not sure it's ultimately, you know, that, that it all falls apart at the end or that that's really what's going on. In, in other words, I think the relationship between that aspect of her character and what happens in the story is, is nuanced. Um, an example of what I mean is when she um, has to fight the I'm not remembering the name of it the the, the Neanderthal uh, vampire the, that that comes out of the seal. Uh, yeah, I can't remember what they're called either. I want to say I want to say Urukai, but hmm, that's Tolkien, so that's the wrong story. I'm in the wrong myth, mythological universe. <laughs> no, but I think you're but, close. Uh, Tarek Tarek Han or something like that. I don't. Yeah, remember. something. Yeah, exactly. Something like that. Um, she she does consult then, and and that. She's got the potentials with her. So it's after this episode. Remember, she consults with Xander and Willow, and they cooperatively come up with the plan to take the fight to the library under, on, you know, that, that uh, Xander is uh, constructing. Mm -hmm. and, and she's going to fight him, the, the Neanderthal uh, vampire, there as an object lesson to uh, the potentials. And so the original Scoobies are involved in that and they do work cooperatively, but it's her generalship, if you want to call it that, that's represented in that strategy. This is, this is the, it's kind of the scene that links to what I said earlier about the counseling, that she seems to have an awareness of other people and, and, how, to, and how to show them something important. 
um, that she didn't have earlier on in the series. And it manifests itself in a counselor's voice in the school, but it manifests itself in uh, an object lesson like this uh, once she's uh, got the potentials to worry about. So, so it's not that I totally disagree with that position, Nikki Stafford's position, or that I don't see the trouble that you see in it, um, but I do think that it's more complicated than, than, than Nikki put it. Yeah, I'm not. I'm actually not sure what she's referring to when she says uh, it will be her undoing by the end of the season. Yeah, exactly. I mean, well, I, I'm not I've been, I've been foreshadowing uh, what will be my very controversial opinion on the end of this season. I've been foreshadowing uh -huh. it quite a bit, but I don't think, like, my problem with the end of the season, I don't think necessarily ties into this. So I'm not sure what Nikki was talking yeah, about there, okay. but. <clears throat> yeah. By the way, have you ever met her? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've been. Uh, I've met her at uh, yeah. several of the Slay Edge conferences. Yeah. At the Slay Edge conferences. Yeah. Oh, see, I I stopped going to the Slay Edge conferences, not from any sort of, you know, problem with the Slay Edge conferences, but just because I got too many conferences to go to and too many things <laughs> that I do, and it kind of receded into the background uh, for me. Well, we've, um, but we've probably was, crossed um, paths before then because I've been to several of them. So. I was I was at the one in um, at Middle Tennessee. Oh yeah, that was in, sorry the one that was in Nashville. Yeah, I've been I've been to all of them that have been in the American South. <laughs> Any time that they've been overseas. Oh yeah, and then and the and then the one over by the one over at, at Gordon College too. Well, then we have crossed uh, paths and and uh, didn't didn't realize it. But yeah. um, I I met her not at those, um, but at Toronto Trek. Okay. And this is just this is just a compliment uh, to her. Not only do I like what she does with Buffy and other subjects, uh, the books that she writes, but she is a genuinely nice person. She is a lovely human being. I just really being. enjoyed meeting her. Yeah, she is. Yeah, she's yeah. Awesome. So this is a shout out to Nikki Stafford um, to use her alias. Uh, you know, uh, uh, if she's listening to this podcast, I remember you uh, fondly, I say, uh, uh, and uh, and wish you well. And, and so, so should all the Buffy fans. <laughs> yes, Nikki's glorious, and I I need to have her back again. She's been on several episodes. I need to get her back though. No, um, I have no doubt. Yeah, she'd be one of the first people you'd call. Anyway, she, go ahead. She she was my guest on the very first episode. So, yeah. Um, yeah. okay, so yeah, what is there? What is there to talk about once we get past my uh, um my dislike of the whole I am the law thing. Um, so Willow uh, shows that she is obviously, she still has some sort of connection to the magic because she, she instinctively uh, casts a spell, uh, a shield spell when that uh, yeah. Crimslor or whatever it's called, that Crimslor, the spider demon jumps at her. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. yeah. Of course, it brings back the black eyes and just a little hint of the old Darth Rosenberg there for a second. Right. But, yes, it does. Um, I think it was probably <laughs> what, just because... What did, she say, what did she say to the poor victim? She says, um, stop your... Shut your whimpering um, mouth or something like that? Shut your whimpering mouth or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I also like that we see... I mean, you already talked about the Russian thing but i just like that anyanka was at least partially responsible for the 1905 russian revolution right uh, and was ex expounding upon the virtues of communism 
Oh, that's a wonderful, that's a wonderful sentence, isn't it? When she just runs through it and ends it by saying, it's really common sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I loved that whole thing. Uh, uh, we, we, we never get to hear what she has to say about it, having, having been uh, uh, seen it all uh, in, in the 20th, uh, into the 21st century. Right. Um, but the, but the, thing, the thing that I, that you have to admire, it seems to me anyway, that you have to admire about her is just that ultimate expression of responsibility or agency when she says to de Hoffren, um, that she wants to take it back mm-hmm. and that she's willing to pay the price. That's obvious that she is. And that, that really puts her into the hero's position. Uh, and, um, you know, I'm grateful because I want to see her in the future episodes that she's not the one who got sent into, uh, you know, uh, wherever vengeance demons go when, when, when they're sent off to demon hell or, uh, whatever. Um, so I'm, 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 for that but at the same time um you know i'm I just very much appreciate that uh that she was willing to sacrifice herself in atonement for what she'd done and it's it's then so pathetic and i mean that in a good way you know it brings it, it's it's a moment of pathos uh for us when she at the very end of the episode says um um you know what if i'm a nobody yeah and my response is not Xander's, which is you're not, you know. Uh, mine is no, you can't be because you just agreed to take responsibility um, for this thing, this terrible thing that you had done. Um, so I might, I might think of it as as putting her in the hero's position. But one thing it definitely means is that she's not a nobody. And uh, um, and then they have, and this is the second episode in a row where they've put the visuals together this way there's another perfect ending to this episode um like the one with buffy uh in in the office window uh, where they're walking when, when she watches xander walk away from her mm-hmm. down the sidewalk and i know that this sounds completely unconnected but i have this memory of my son at a, the age of three and we're in south carolina and we're I'm at Polly's island and we're on the beach you know and and there he is his three-year-old self running in front of me um, down the beach. And I thought then, as I think now when I see him in similar situations, there he is, you know, going away from me. Yeah. And and it's just, you know, I get a catch in my throat every time I, I think about that episode in my life. I think of her watching Xander walk away, uh, knowing that both of them still love each other. Um, having the same really wonderful, awful feeling, um, you know, of the inevitability of of uh, loss in the connection. I just think that that's it's splendidly done. Oh. Well, damn you, Michael! You're bringing real emotion to this podcast. What? Uh... <laughs> that's what I do. It's what you pay me for, Paul. What? And, what and, are you? And, and I bring it every time. What are you doing to me? Um. All right. Man. So, um, yeah, so I, I love, I I've said, uh, in previous episodes of this podcast that at the most recent slayage that I went to, well, I guess it was the most recent slayage cause they've canceled this year's, but, um, somebody, and I always forget who it was and I can't remember the name of the paper. I really need to look this stuff up, but, uh, someone presented a paper on Anya and her progression like her character arc from the beginning all the way through to her end. Yeah. And yeah. Um, 
that was really the first thing that opened my eyes to Anya because I've never disliked Anya. Like I, I've always liked the character, but she's just on my previous viewings had never really been the one that I paid the most attention to. And I feel like uh-huh. prob- probably what was happening in this episode, the first time I watched it was I was focusing so much on my rage at Buffy that um, right. I wasn't paying close <laughs> enough attention to the, the pathos of what the character of Anya was going through. That's my only excuse. And it's not really a valid one, but um, in hindsight well, now, I think that there is a, yeah, there's a sleight of hand going on. I mean, I think that they do this in a number of these season seven episodes. I, I've never charted it out for myself, but, you know, which ball are you supposed to keep your eye on? Right. And, and I think often the character who's most revealing is not the one to whom you're most attracted or the one with whom you're having the most problem in that particular episode. Yeah. Um, that's a that's a kind of cleverness of, of character contrast uh, that I really appreciate about, about the season. Yeah. Um. Well, we'll see how I feel about season seven, about Buffy's arc of season seven going forward. If um, how much of this episode and my frustration with it sticks with me, or if I have a, a more mature view of it now, these 20 years. Oh, later. no, <laughs> no, yeah. I won't. Yeah, I won't. I, mean, I promise no you. There's nobody, I mean, there's no way to avoid it. I mean, 20 years on. I mean, you can't respond the way you did the first time you saw this stuff. I mean, I certainly I certainly can't. <laughs> oh, I thought you were saying, no, it can't. You you won't respond maturely. And you're right. I won't. I'll try. No, but no, I'm sure you will. I'm sure there's no, no, no. There's no way that one can. I mean, that one. It, but it's but, you know, it is a, it is a truism of literary art or cinematic art or any kind of art, you know, that uh, uh, the really good stuff. Uh, you can view over and over through the course of your life because it continues to mean something, but mean differently from the way that it did before. I, I, I'm surprised at the resilience of Buffy, even though I've liked the show from the beginning and knew that it was brilliant. I'm surprised at how resilient it is um, as I pass through it again and again. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know how resilient I am, but I think the show is wonderfully resilient. Yeah, it is. I mean, that we continue to have so much... Um like academic exploration of the series, its themes and all that stuff over the course of 20 plus years is incredible. So, um, in fact, when I started this whole podcast, my thought was, is there really, do I have anything to say about Buffy? (laughs) Like what can I possibly ever say anything that hasn't been said before, which is why I wanted to get as many uh, of you smart people on here with me so that I wasn't the one trying to say smart things. <laughs> Anyways, let's move on to him. And yet you do. Yet you uh, do. Well. I, I think that him, him, can, him can be handled in about 10 minutes actually. Yeah. 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 There, <laughs> I don't think there's a lot here. Um, so what are your thoughts on him? Yeah. Um, that motif of multi-generational male power comes back into it. Yeah. Uh, it comes back into the story. Uh, it's hinted at there. Um, uh, the group issue, the construction of groups is there. You know, the women are competing with uh, uh, each other, but they hang together. The older brother wants to hang out with Xander and Spike, little knowing in whose presence he, he is. Um I think for me, the critical issue uh, is that there are two connected critical issues. And this is this is an episode that bothers me. Uh, There's that inappropriate seduction, which is under the aegis of magic, you know, Buffy and RJ. Yes. And and 
you know, obviously any of us is going to, I mean, it's not that, it's not that inappropriate seduction under the aegis of a silly uh, letter jacket magic is equivalent to Spike's attempted rape. But, right. you know, that it's, it's, it's not equivalence, but, but it's troubling that it's there. <laughs> yeah. You know, that that's what happens to her. And it's not clear, you know, how that really fits into her understanding what happened to her or how we're supposed to understand what happened to her. I find it oddly glib and, and, and maybe not sufficiently self-aware uh, as, as a move. And it ties in with Anya's claim at the end of the episode that they're not responsible ethically or morally for anything they did because they were under a spell. And, you know, this is a constant argument. Um, well, in the last episode, we were told that Anya had to die uh, uh, because she was a vengeance demon. But why can't she flip that and say you can't hold Anya accountable for the fact that she killed all these guys because she's a vengeance demon? The answer to that is simply that she chose to be a vengeance demon, which is different from becoming a vampire, right. which in most cases is involuntary. So you've got all these different shades of responsibility that are going on. Um, and I don't, I don't care if Anya's right, because as I said, I think three times already, it's silly. The episode <laughs> is silly. It's silly like the cheerleader episode, which I'm sure you're going to bring it up in a minute, as as called back in this one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. From uh, from uh, earlier in the in the series, but um, but the ethical issues are all written. The script is all written out, um, or written onto the page uh, in this episode. And so I guess it's good because those problems and conflicts are there. Um, but I don't see this episode as doing anything more than writing them down. It's not helping to. Um, resolve any of them and um, you know so that's kind of my principal position and then there are two little small things that I think are well done um, no there's one small thing that I think is well done which is uh, when when Don is angry with Buffy for loving RJ uh -huh. not because she's older but because she was the one she trusted. And then you go back to um, conversations with dead people and Joyce uh, saying to Dawn, Buffy will not, will, not, will not choose you. And so you have an iteration of the not choosing, though what comes later is going to be more significant than this particular uh, moment of it. And then I'll say I really like the fact that Ricky Lindholm is in this episode. Yes. Um, um, of Garfunkel and Oates fame. Uh, that's a, it's a wonderful thing to see. And I wasn't awfully impressed with the Charlie's Angels split screen montage, even though it's kind of funny. <laughs> I, I laughed you know? at it. I laughed so, at so it. I think, yeah, well, I laughed at it, too. But then I realized I was laughing at uh, a trick in the middle of a silly episode. And I said, stop your laughing because uh, <laughs> uh, it's not that funny. So so. <laughs> For me, you know, and not surprisingly, while it isn't quite as bad as the the, the swim team uh, episode in season one, no, it's not even close to as bad as that episode. But um, but this this is the weakest of the three episodes we've been talking about by far, just because yeah. it doesn't it doesn't do enough in in, in in the story. Oh my goodness! 
And there goes the motorcycle. Holy. That sounded like it was in the room with you. I've never, ever wanted to be back in my university office as much as I do now that I'm stuck here in my home study. Right. (laughs) Um, But uh, it's it's a real it's a real mixed bag. And and it doesn't seem to me the most the most uh, useful, (laughs) to say the least, of these three or probably of the first six episodes. I think it I think arguably uh, it's the weakest uh, episode of the season. So, yeah. And uh, you, Paul, what do you think? Uh, well, I agree with you. I think of the first, this is the sixth episode of the season, and it is the uh, ranking it, it would be the sixth <laughs> of the episodes so far. Yeah. Um, I found it uh, to, to quote uh, Kevin Smith, as I often do, dumb but harmless. Like, I, I, I'm not overly yeah. fond of the episode, but nothing in it particularly. I didn't get offended by anything in it necessarily. Um, right. right. The, uh, the, See, that's funny. Cause I get a little offended at this one and the way that you get offended at Buffy and, and selfless. Okay. Well, I get that's... offended at them, at the moral muddle that's okay. involved in, in, in who's got, uh, who's got exception, uh, and who's, who's to blame. And, and yeah, so that's interesting that, that we divide them up that way. That, that is interesting. We should talk about that. I, I will say that the, Two things in this that I come closest, I guess, to being like actually offended by when the episode when when Dawn first starts falling for RJ before the episode reveals why um, I did roll my eyes like I I had forgotten this was the episode about the magic letterman's jacket. And so when when we hear the theme to uh, oh, my gosh, what is the (laughs) what's the. Whichever movie. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. Yes. Shame on me for not remembering <laughs> it. But anyways, when that music plays and he like squirts uh, no, the no, water no. around his face in slow in slow motion, I was like, are you yeah. kidding me? Are we really doing this? Um, so for just a moment, I was like, oh, come on. And then I remembered what the the gimmick was here. Um, but the uh, well, you already mentioned the seduction scene or whatever the between Buffy and RJ. Um, which you're yeah. right. There could be, there could be, and probably should be some discussion about that representation. Uh, what I took out of that scene. Oh, good Lord. She, she's mounting him. I know. She has I mounted know. him to be proof about it. It right? got, it got pretty graphic. At the school. <laughs> yeah. It got Whoa. pretty graphic. Um, what, what I took out of that scene or what I, you know, the thing that I focused on or noticed was that uh, she actually looked quite a bit like Darla from season one. Um, I don't remember what episode it was, but there was an episode. It might've been the episode angel. We saw Darla in like schoolgirl outfit being all seductive. And, and even, even Buffy's hair in this kind of reminds me a little bit of Darla's back then. So I don't know. just in that moment, I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then the other thing that could have been problematic, and I know there are people that have an issue with this, but I, I have a different view on it, is the idea that Willow falls under the spell, the heterosexual spell of the Letterman's jacket. <laughs> um, you know, that could be problematic. Some people think that is problematic. I would say that it would be if Willow was actually gay, which I maintain she's not. She's bisexual. Yeah. Yes, these arguments go on, don't they? They, <laughs> they, they? People have a lot invested in in these positions. But I can see how somebody committed to the notion that she is lesbian, 
would take this as a very glib um, uh, uh, representation of orientation, you know, which is what, which is what, I mean, actually it does feed into the narrative, an old uh, masculinist narrative that, um, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm the man who's sexy enough to turn that woman straight or vice versa, you know, and, and so I can see if you are committed to the notion that she's gay, that this would be, this would be a really tough moment to accept. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely fair. I hadn't thought of it in terms of the whole, you know, all she needs is a good, whatever (laughs) to to not be a lesbian. But but look, I mean, bisexuality solves a lot of problems doesn't it i mean that's what you're that's what you're saying <laughs> uh, yes <laughs> is that yes. <laughs> i mean all sh- of those all of those ethic orientation issues and everything go away if you look at at Willow's <laughs> character so. the the show certainly never framed it as that she was either into boys or she was into girls and that's that's just how the show framed it she she refers to herself yeah. as yeah. gay many times but you know, back then, actually, even today, the notion of bisexuality gets pushed back. So back then, you know, yeah. we, we yeah. weren't we yeah. weren't talking yeah. in oh, those terms. No, absolutely. And she, you know, and she definitely reconfirms with Kennedy um, um, her orientation in, in this season. M- much to some um, people's chagrin. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, what was that? I said much to yeah. some people's chagrin. <laughs> yeah, well, right. Well, I mean, it's obvious, you know, part of it is the subject and part of it is... Um, I think I think you can level criticism um, at uh, uh, Whedon and, and the writers and, and directors for how how this stuff is handled. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's it's arguably not handled as intelligently um, as it could have been, um, you know, in this in, in for the sake of art, you can you can make arguments like, well, when you're balancing different registers like humor and drama and you're also dealing with. Uh, social issues and such, uh, something is going to get um, um, short shrift or or um, insufficiently grounded or poorly explained yeah. or or something. Um, and and you know I, that's the challenge that writers face. But the best the best writing would of course um, pull it off uh, in a great coup de grace uh, where all of these things were were in better balance. And and I can see why. Some people uh, take offense at it, and I can and I can also see why maybe um, the writers are responsible for um, for that. I mean, I haven't like a lot of people I know um, read uh, really long um, you know message board um, um, threads uh, about this subject. I know they exist. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and I'm not sure that I I'm not sure that I could make it make it through the lists uh, or through the through those cues of of comments. Um, but, uh, um, but I respect the fact that it matters to people and, and it does seem that maybe, um, the writing teams hadn't thought through what was at stake, um, for some people before they, they went into the subject. So, yeah. What was at stake? Did you hear what I just did? I, I do that all the time in class <laughs> and students roll their eyes and then I realize I've done this stupid dad pun, uh, you know, uh, and uh, not even realized I was doing it. It's an, it's an embarrassment, but I, but I don't seem to be able uh, to avoid it entirely. It's a, natu- so. it's a natural talent. You should embrace it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, my children would say that I, I make the most of it, so... <laughs> Um, I mean, you're a dad. You should have dad jokes. That's how it works. Yeah, right. Exactly. Um, so interesting that in Selfless, in the previous episode, uh, de Hoffren killed Halfrick rather than Anya, and he 
told Anya, yeah. we didn't quote this line when we were talking about selfless, but um, as he said, then never go for the kill when you can go for the pain. Um, right. And, and he also alluded to, like you said, when he sort of winked and disappeared and said from beneath you devours, he alluded to the fact that he doesn't need to kill her because she's going to die anyways. They're all going to die. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yet, in this episode, it appears that he's what changed his mind, and now he's just sending assassins after her on the regular. <laughs> and it's—I don't remember which episodes. It's not the only episode. Uh, it actually ends up being a little absurd um, that uh, De Hoffren sends these these assassins, and they never seem to be able to to, to kill her, uh, despite the fact that he has all this power. But it is, but it is odd. Uh, but you know what? Um, if he's made her feel the pain, um, he didn't promise not to also go for the kill. Okay. Yeah, right? sure. I mean, I mean, how long is she going to feel that pain? She's going to move on. She's got other things to worry about. The world is coming to an end. She's going to be distracted from the pain. So at that point, <laughs> I uh, guess you're right. There's, there's a loophole in the yeah, contract I, there. Well, and as, and you got to remember the Hoffman is a, is a contract guy. Yes, this is true. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. And loopholes, loopholes are his uh, bread and butter. So, yeah. Um, so I'm trying to find, I'm trying to find like themes or whatever running through this episode. And I don't know what I could make of this, the whole theme of uniforms. Um, but just the fact that the MacGuffin of the episode is a, a quote unquote uniform, it's a letterman's jacket or whatever. Um, yeah. And it's passed down, like you said, from father to son to brother. Um, when we meet the older brother, what was his name? Lance. Um, yeah. He's also wearing a uniform. Uh, mm -hmm. But the mm -hmm. power that uniform has seems to be entirely different <laughs> from the power of the like he's dressed <laughs> in a uniform that is implicitly, uh, you know, meant to make us either feel pity for him or look down on him as Xander and Spike clearly do the whole pizza delivery right. guy. Um, it also seems to suggest that the jacket does more than just make women swoon. It, it changes your, your confidence or whatever. Cause I think, cause this guy clearly right. is no longer, you know, the big man on campus type. Now he's the schlubby right. pizza delivery right. guy. And doesn't he say that his brother used to be into geeky stuff? Or he used to be one of those nerds or something. Yeah, no, right. Yeah. Until he got the jacket. Yeah. No, he does. And he, right, and he says, I think something about how he used to be great, but isn't anymore. Yeah. Um, that's you know, it's it's an interesting reflection. Those are because Buffy wore a uniform once too, and yes. and it was degrading. Yes. Um, at that point in the story, you know, it was a it was a come down to be the Slayer who worked at the Double Meat Palace. Um, and there are other types of quasi uniforms too that that come up in these episodes when Anya is singing we see you know in self when she's singing her song uh we see Xander um passed out uh from construction exhaustion uh and also the exhaustion of dancing in the streets right um on on the the easy chair and and we see his hard hat and his boots uh-huh and his plaid shirt and of course we and get that's a type uh, of uniform too of course we get her in her wedding dress in that and this is the yep, another one. And, this is the yeah. episode that gives us Dawn trying out for the cheerleader squad, right? In uh, in Buffy's yes. in Buffy's cheerleading outfit. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then in a while, 
we're going to see a fight over um, a black leather duster. Oh, yeah. And whose <laughs> uniform that's supposed to be. Oh, yeah. A Slayer's uniform or Spike's uniform, the, the clothing that we most associate with him. Which, um, uh, I, I guess it's worth noting at this point, we are six episodes into the season, and uh, Spike has not worn that jacket. Like, I don't, I remember that the jacket comes back into the story, but I don't remember when. I'm just yeah. noting that so far, we're seeing Spike, but he does not have his his trademark jacket. Um, and in fact, right. in fact, he's wearing different clothes than we usually see him wearing. There were yeah. a couple episodes where he was wearing that uh, Navy blue shirt. And in that episode, he even referred to it as his spike costume or something like that. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, when it does come back in, it is a dramatic, it's a really, I think it's a really compelling moment, um, mm -hmm. having to do with who he is and who he isn't. Right. Um, and, uh, the fact that the coat hasn't been in the season, but comes back into the season to confirm um, his agency with a soul, basically, um, you know, to decide who he is and what he's going to be. Um, um, I think that's pretty significant. Uh, it's, you know, like like the letter jacket you're talking about as character here. It's really almost a, a character in, in that episode. Yeah. Um, there are some really good moment well you already mentioned ricky lindholm as cheryl and that's delightful yeah. we also got uh yeah angela serafian i'm not sure how to pronounce her last name uh who's done all sorts of things i mean i'm sure people know her from from dozens and dozens of things but uh i'm familiar with her i think of her now as uh clementine from uh, hbo's uh westworld series uh, oh, which I haven't watched. Okay, so oh, she's man. in that. That's interesting. Yeah, she's in that. Yeah. Uh, but for me, hands down, the best part of this episode is the Xander Spike team up. Uh, yes. Just because we get a we get a brief reprieve from the two of them sniping at each other. It's brief, but yeah. for just for just a few yeah. shining moments, we get to see them kind of cooperating, uh, which is always fun. Mm -hmm. Um, and we get the the glorious uh, like master plan to get the jacket. Where Xander's like, "All right, you understand the plan? Yeah, I think I got it." And they just bum right. bum right. rush the guy and rip the jacket off of him and then disappear. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. And bonus bonus points to the uh, the Buffy with the rocket launcher in the background as Spike tackles her and they race back and forth. Oh uh, no, that's that. No, that is hilarious, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, that is that is so. Funny. And then when Spike comes off, you know, from the left uh, and tackles her yeah. and, and, and it wouldn't be the it wouldn't be as funny if we weren't in, you know, they're silent to us. Yeah, basically, if we weren't in Robin Wood's office listening to his soft jazz. <laughs> yes, it was great. Right? Oh, man. Yeah, no, that's really good. Really good. <laughs> OK, maybe I'm coming around to this episode and its details a little bit more uh, than than. <laughs> that I came around to it thematically. I, I still say it doesn't have much thematic purpose, but, uh, but there are, there are artful elements of it. Sure enough. Well, I mean, you could, if you're looking for something to nitpick, you can nitpick the whole dawn on the train tracks. And when, when the Scooby gang arrive on the scene, Xander notices Dawn and it look the camera makes it look like she's what 20 feet away from them and then Buffy has to run no, full right. tilt catch a passing train ride the train for a little while and then dive off of it in order to get to to uh Dawn who must have been like a mile and a half away 
Yeah, but it, you know that that scene has always confused me a little bit because obviously there are points at which you'll have um, a, a track switch um, and two trains will pass. Mm-hmm. But but what are the odds? Yeah, that they're passing that, each that, other. That this would be one of those moments so that Buffy can jump on a train going in the opposite direction to get Dawn. That seems just a little too unlikely. Yeah. Me. Boy, aren't they lucky that that happened. That's for sure. Now I'm, otherwise, an, now I'm imagining I'm a version that. of this scene where uh, we see, like Dawn is laying on the tracks all melodramatically and, uh, and the camera keeps showing us the approaching train and uh, it right. gets down right to the final second. <laughs> and then we realize that the train is passing on the other set of tracks. Not yeah, the no, one exa- that, exactly. And, yeah. and then Buffy yeah, just I appears suppose, and says, uh, uh, are you done? Or, you know, Whatever. Yeah, right, right. No, I, I mean, maybe they plotted out some alternatives and decided they were going to go with this one, but that that was that was a possibility because it does the way the shots were set up. Yeah, it does look like they could have gone that. Um, uh, that's yeah, that's really that's really funny. So, anything else in here, this episode? No. All no. I can say is that it has been um, fun to watch the first half of this or the first third of the season again roughly uh and uh and i find myself motivated to watch the rest i actually have watched a few more episodes than that uh uh you know uh just so that i could bone up uh, for conversations with dead people or with you and uh uh um you know there are moments in this series where if if, if you just saw a set of three episodes you would say uh hmm I'm not sure if I want to watch this series. I, I mean, I think that in the middle of season one, I yeah. was so lucky because I didn't watch season one until I was already watching season two. Okay. Um, I didn't understand it. So, so I had, I had um, season one summer reruns after I watched season two, and I had a reason to watch them even when they were bad because I'd liked what I'd seen so much in season two. Um, but I got to say, if I just watch these three episodes in season seven, I'd be thinking about what comes next and uh, really interested to, to follow the, the arc of the story. So, you know, it's, it's well done. Um, uh, things are going pretty well in season seven, I would say, so far. Yeah. So that's been my biggest revelation so far is that uh, I had clearly had forgotten how strong this season is to start. And hopefully, aside from my my nitpicks that I'm not letting go of just yet the whole, I am the law and then uh, general Buffy. And then the thing about the end that we'll get to, I'm not spoiling that one. Aside from all that stuff, uh, maybe I will, I'll appreciate season seven a lot more on this rewatch than I did originally. I'm hoping so. Cause I certainly have enjoyed this first third of the season. Yeah. And you know, I will say I have sympathy with the writers who can, who can really successfully, close um a seven season comedy drama on yeah. tv i mean ending, endings are hard endings are hard yeah yeah and you know it, you can you can love the sopranos uh, <laughs> and still wonder what happened in that final episode i i have to say uh, a funny you know, funny story about that the the final 30 seconds or so of that uh series finale sopranos is literally the only sopranos i've ever seen Oh, really? That episode aired right before something else that I was watching. It might have been Game of Thrones. I don't remember what I was watching, but I tuned uh-huh. in uh-huh. just in time to catch the end of that episode. And I, I know virtually nothing about The Sopranos, except that everybody tells me it's one of the greatest televisions of all the series of all time. 
but I knew virtually nothing about it. But based on those 30 seconds, I was like, damn, that's intriguing. I might want to go watch that show now. Whereas everybody else who watched yeah. the series and loved it hated that ending. <laughs> right. Uh, no, I, yeah, that's true. Um, uh, that's true. It's true. And also, though I think it is great television, um, the story is very troubling. Okay. Um, and, and, and the voyeurism involved in uh, being part of its audience um, is troubling too, you know. So in some ways, though, they're different. They're different problems. Um, it's it's full of problems, like Buffy's full of problems, but it's also full of of rewards. So yeah. I say, watch it, Paul. Okay, it's it's on yeah. the list. I own it. I own it and Six Feet Under and The Wire. I own the discs, a complete series of all of those. Uh-huh. Have never watched them. <laughs> Have never watched them yet. I've, I yeah. I have seen some episodes of The Wire, but I I, I, I I can't wait someday to sit down and and watch that. And Six Feet Under is something else. Do that one too. Yeah. No. I all three of those are on the list, but man, they're so they're so big. <laughs> it's just it's an investment. Yeah, no, that's true. It's an investment. There's so much that's other true. stuff that I'm watching just on a daily basis that it's hard to find time to go back to massive series like that. But someday. I promise. I've promised uh, yeah. my I've promised my friend and co-host uh, Arlo that Arlo Wiley that I will watch any yeah. or all of those series at some point. Yeah. So, Who knows? Maybe you will end up doing a podcast about uh, about one of those those two. Maybe. Maybe. I'm always looking. Even as I curse <laughs> myself every time I record an episode of any podcast, I'm like, why do I do this? Why did I choose to make my life about this? Um, I'm always looking for new projects yeah. to do. So, Yeah, yeah. See, they could be right around the corner. Could be. Um, because that's what the world needs, is my opinions on <laughs> heavily reviewed classics like The Sopranos. But anyways. People, people would welcome them. Yep. Anyway. Michael... This has been a joy. Thank you so much for uh, for waiting two years for me to finally pull your name out of the hat again. I'm so sorry. Well, you know, I, I answered right away. I was waiting for two years. I, I waited the whole two years. Boom, there was the invitation, and I said yes. Oh, so, man. See, I'm hanging. So it, was, it was a pleasure to talk to you. I'm hanging my head in shame. Um, yeah, the uh, <laughs> this season this season might be pretty fully spoken for. Um so I can't guarantee I'll get you back on for season seven. But once I'm done with this, I'm moving on to Angel. And not a lot of people have stepped up to the mic to to offer their time for Angel. So that series is yeah. uh, an open book, pretty much, if you're a okay. fan of Angel. We'll, 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 have to be in, we'll have to be in touch about that. And, you know, now that you brought up the possibility, even the slimmest possibility... <laughs> That uh, I could come back for season seven, I'll be I'll be sitting here watching my my email with bated breath. So. <laughs> okay, all right. Um, well, <laughs> how can the listeners at home stalk you online if you want to be stalked? I am unstalkable because I'm not a social media person in any way. So you you know if you ever wanted to get in touch with me, you'd just write to my university address, which is easy to find because I'm. Uh, just becoming the chair of the English department. So I'm right there, right there on the website. Um, and I'm always happy to correspond with anybody, but I'm not a Twitter person or a Facebook person. And I don't, you know, um, I don't put things out about myself very much or engage in those conversations. So as, as, I, criticism. 
as I was discovering when we were trying to to connect for yeah, this recording, exactly, I was it's, like, it's I went to criticism of anybody doing it. It's just it's just a matter of time and, and and attention. And I can't I can't do as much as other people do. I'm I'm a, I think I've got a narrower focus than a lot of modern people do. Yeah. As we were trying to get Skype to work, I was like, man, I wish he was on Twitter or Messenger so I could yeah, just I know, quickly message just him. But we had to rely on email. <laughs> um, listen, you. Yeah, well, you... no, I, I was doing the same thing and saw the Facebook button and i thought well that's not going to do me any good and uh, yeah yeah <laughs> um i uh so you put it out there that you're about to you're a brand new english professor and people can reach you like through your university uh, but you didn't say the university well, I mean, I'm, a, I'm a i'm a very i'm a very old english professor but i but, but i'm now i'm not going to be english department at indiana university in bloomington uh indiana and i'm and i'm proud to serve and and uh help my department in that role Okay, awesome. And uh, we'll just hope that I don't screw it up. Oh, uh, you'll be great. You'll be great. If you can get through this podcast, you can do anything, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You are, but you are telling me, and I and I hear you loud and clear that uh, that Buffy should not be my leadership model. That, that <laughs> I should not try to lead, not try to lead the department as Buffy leads the potentials, because therein lies therein lies potential disaster. So I won't do that. Well, if you do, film it. I, I would like to see how <laughs> I would like to if see I, if I do, I'll get, if I do, I'll get Andrew to film it. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Um, all right. Well, thank you so much for, for coming back and I will absolutely look for opportunities to have you back on. Um, in the meantime, thank you at home for listening, everybody. You can find links to this and all of our past episodes at the website conswithdead.com, um, or you can subscribe to the show on iTunes. Um, if you do that while you're there, please rate us or write us a review. That really helps find new listeners if you've got questions for me or my guests or if you just like to share your thoughts about anything that we've discussed please join the conversation you can drop an email at conswithdead at gmail.com follow us on twitter at conswithdead or reach out to us on facebook at facebook.com slash you guessed it conswithdead see i am one of those social media monsters <laughs> so i praise your self-restraint michael um, next time around broken magic <laughs> author and my co-author co-editor on the deli counter of justice, Eric Sipple joins me for what is arguably the most important episode of Buffy, the vampire slayer ever since, of course, it is the namesake of this very important podcast, uh, conversations with dead people. That's it. Just a one and done next, next week. We're just talking about that episode. So listen to us mug for 90 minutes about a single episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer uh, until then, gur arg everybody gur arg gur arg